This week we are celebrating a very special day in the church year. We're, spe- we're celebrating the day in which Christ ascended into heaven. And so this morning, if you have your Bible with you, uh, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, looking at the story of Christ's ascension. You know, I don't really know whether it was intentional or, or not, but this day has always been taught of as, as sort of this end of an era. I don't know if you've ever heard it like that, but certainly I have. It's almost like this is the end of the, quote, Jesus era. Or, or maybe now we're, we're sort of shifting gears and, and turning more towards the Holy Spirit era. But I really think that this actually obscures the point behind this great event that we have in Scripture. See, the Ascension is a day that's marked with, with powerful theological truths about the work of God in this world. And, and we don't have time to, to get into all of the, the sort of complex details of what the Ascension means for us this morning. But I do want us to focus in on one thing this morning, and that's this. Go ahead and write it down. Acts 1 is not the end of an era. Acts 1 is not the end of an era. But it's an event which causes us to look forward in hope. Acts 1 is not the end of an era, but it's an event which causes us to look forward in hope. And specifically hope in two things. Number one, presence. And number two, power. Presence and power. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I know some of you are thinking, oh, he's getting way ahead of himself already. But before we get too far, let's take a moment, stop, and let's let's read this passage together. Uh, Sort of this passage which frames our conversation that we're going to have today. So Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, this is what we read. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Some quick context here before we really dive into this sermon. 
Uh, the book of Acts, uh, I know we've been spending a lot of time in Acts, but I don't really know if we've really dug into what this book is. But it, it's sort of like a part two, right? It's, a, it's like a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Traditionally, these two books have been understood uh, as sort of volume one and volume two, written by the same author, Luke, the, the phys- physician. And so that's why it kind of starts off in this strange way. In my first book, Theophilus, this is what I wrote about. Because it's kind of like a continuation of the story told in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel ends where the book of Acts begins, on the day of Christ's ascension. I like to kind of think about it like uh, we're watching a TV show. It's kind of like season two opens with a recap of, of, of everything that happened in season one. And then the first shot that we see, the first scene that we see in season two, it's like it's the, it's the last shot of season one just from a different perspective, one that shows more, more details, right? That's kind, of, that's kind of what we're getting at here. And so Luke is going through this. He, he's sort of setting it up previously on, and, and then he dives deep into the teaching that Jesus gives to the disciples on the last day. And I want us to zoom in this morning on verse 5, beginning there. Jesus says to his disciples, they're all gathered around him uh, while they were eating, and Jesus says to, him, to them, John baptized with water, but in a few days... You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I just love this word picture that Jesus creates here, right? You guys, I'm sure you all know this. In our faith today, we practice baptism, right? It's a sacrament for us. And in our tradition, it's typically done as this sort of outward sign of the inward transformation that comes when somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. And there's many ways that, that we can go about doing baptism. There's, you know, sprinkling or, or whatever. But the most typical way, I think, that we tend to see it is through immersion. The person being baptized is dunked down into the water and then they brought back up. It sort of symbolizes dying and being raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And when I read the words of Jesus here in Acts chapter 1, I think that this is what Jesus is trying to, to call to the minds of the disciples. See, that word baptism, it literally means to dip or to immerse or to submerge See, when you're baptized in water, you are submerged in the water such that you are entirely surrounded by it. The water overwhelms your body. It's kind of like when you went to the swimming pool as a kid on a hot day. You remember doing that as a kid, right? You couldn't just dip your toe in the cold water. I never trusted those people. No, you got to run and you got to jump from the side so that your whole body hits the water at once and then you just you sink down into it. Until you're completely submerged. There's this moment when that is happening, where, where you hit the water, you're sinking, when it's almost like magic, right? You stop falling, and you're just kind of sitting there weightless, being completely surrounded by the water. It's like you're being held by the water. And I think this is the picture that Jesus is trying to call to mind when he talks about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
It's like that quiet moment after you jump into the pool where, where you're just surrounded by the water. <laughs> Jesus says, in a few days, you will be fully immersed in divine presence. Wow. When was the last time, when was the last time that you thought of God's presence like that? I mean, how many times have we thought about God's presence as sort of like going to the BMV? I know it's been a while since we've all been to the BMV probably, but, but you know, it's hard to forget those trips. Why? Because <laughs> they're, so, uh, they're so unpleasant, aren't they? <laughs> I've never heard anyone get excited about going to the BMV because you go and it's always busy. You walk into this hot room, you take a number, and you go find a chair to sit down, and then you just have to wait until they call your number. And the BMVs that I go to, or at least the ones that I've been to, they don't even have old magazines like you would have in a doctor's office. No, they got nothing. So, so if you didn't bring your own book or anything, then you're out of luck. <laughs> so you're... you're in the BMV, you're just sitting there waiting and waiting, and finally, after what feels like an eternity, your number gets called. You go up to the counter only to be greeted by someone, someone else who doesn't want to be there either. <laughs> They're tired and, and ready to clock out. See, I think that it can be easy for us to think about God's presence like that. All right, we, we go to this special place. We, we take a number, we, we sit down for what feels like an eternity. <laughs> and then finally, God calls our number. We go up to the counter only to be greeted by someone who is too tired and ready to clock out. Honestly, I think that this is how a lot of people in our culture view uh, God's presence. I mean, I've heard people say things like, why would God help me? There's so many, so many other people in the world that have much bigger problems than I do. He, he, God's probably way too busy to help me, right? They think of it like you're going to the BMV and you wait, spend all that time waiting in line just to get up to the counter and ask them where the nearest gas station is. It's just a waste of everybody's time. I've also heard other people who, who put off uh, seeking God's presence, who put off prayer because they don't want to take the time to get all the proper paperwork in order and all of that. Like, it's like if I, if I can't pass all the right tests and, and pay the $30, then I'm going to get denied. But friends, our hope as Christians is not the BMV. <laughs> the promise that Jesus gives us is that we will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. We'll be swimming around in God's presence, surrounded entirely, held securely by God's presence. So the, pro the promise of the Christian life is one in which God's presence never leaves us. And that means that we don't have to take a number. We don't have to wait in line, sit in a chair with, with bored out of our minds because there's no old magazines to read, right? <laughs> We don't even have to get all the right paperwork in order before we can approach God's presence. No matter the time, no matter the place, God is right there. God is holding you. His presence is surrounding you, right? That's such good news, isn't it? <laughs> and I remember a lot of times in my life where, where I didn't have the proper words, right? I, didn't, I wasn't in the proper place. 
But I was able to just sit and be held by the presence of God. I didn't need to say any special words. I didn't need to explain why I had to come in. All I had to do was stop and sit in the gracious presence of our God. Because, friends, this is the promise that our God gives to us. In a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But why is that? What's the benefit of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Isn't it good enough for, for Jesus to stay here and continue teaching and, and preaching and, and doing all the healing himself? I wonder, have you ever had the thought of, man, I, I wish that I could have been around when Jesus was around. I wish I could have sat at his feet and, and listened to some of his teachings firsthand. Well, friends, here's something that, that I know that you already know. <laughs> whenever God does something, no matter what it is, whenever God does something, there's always a purpose behind it. And so for Jesus to ascend here in Acts chapter 1 and for the Holy Spirit to come, there must have been a purpose behind it. There must have been a goal or, or a reason for it. And so I wonder, what might that be? Well, the last words that Jesus says here uh, before he ascends are found in verse 8, where he says this to his disciples. He says, you will be my witnesses in Judea, in, all, or in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now remember with me, if you can, uh, all the way back to week two of this series. <laughs> I know it's been a while. Uh, but in week two, we spent our whole time, the whole sermon, talking about this one idea. Right? We, we looked at this great scene from John chapter 20, where Jesus meets with his disciples on the night of his resurrection. And he says this to them, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And initially, when I had planned this uh, sermon series... I had initially planned to only reference this passage, but spend the majority of our time uh, in a different text. But as I sat down to uh, write the message for that week, I was so captivated by that one sentence uh, that I decided to go ahead and shift gears and spend the whole time talking about uh, that one verse. And you know, I'm really happy that I did. <laughs> because that calling is foundational to our understanding of what Jesus is talking about here in Acts chapter 1. Remember that week, second week of the sermon series in John 20, I said that Jesus was sort of passing the torch onto his disciples. He wasn't handing them a new commission. He wasn't giving them a new mission or a new calling or any of that. No, he was, he was simply giving the reins of his commission over to his disciples. For the same reason the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. And as resurrection people, we are given this charge to continue the work that Christ began in our world. That's what I said that week two of that series. Here in Acts 1, it takes that and it builds one more layer underneath of it. We are to continue this work as witnesses to Jesus Christ. And here's another way that we might say it. We are to keep working out the mission as a testimony 
to who Christ is and what he has done for this world. Friends, if nothing else, this is the reason that our church exists, right? To be good news to the poor and to the oppressed as a testimony of the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. But remember also what I said that week. I said that we need to receive the Holy Spirit in order for us to accomplish this goal. Why is that? Because Acts chapter 1 verse 8 again you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So we have the example uh, to follow in Christ. We have the commission from Christ. But for us to meaningfully accomplish this work, we need to be equipped by the Holy Spirit. All right, I like to use the picture of, of going on a road trip. See, you, when you're going on a road trip, you can have your destination you can have uh, the, the map quest to get you there, right? You can even have the car. But if you don't have gas in your car, then you're not going to go anywhere meaningful, right? See, Jesus gives us a very clear direction to travel. There, there's a very clear destination in mind, but we still need the power. We still need the gas in our car that's going to get us from point A to point B. Are you with me here? <laughs> You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. We've talked about this word power before a few times. Near the end of last year, we were in this sermon series where we looked at the book of 2 Timothy, uh, titled For the Gospel. And in, there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes these words. He says, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. The power there in 2 Timothy, it's the same Greek word that's used here in Acts chapter 1. The picture is of a dynamic, of an explosive power. It's a power that can't be stopped. It's like dynamite, right? In fact, that's where we actually get our word for dynamite, from this Greek word for power. Dynamite is actually a really good picture, I think, of, of the kind of power that, that the author here is talking about, that Jesus is telling us about. Dynamite, you see, was, was, it was developed in the late 1800s as this sort of explosive charge to help in mining and, and clearing through rocks. And so rather than spending all of this time and energy sort of chipping away with your pickaxe at the rocks, you can just set a few uh, sticks of dynamite there, and it's going to cut a hole straight through that mountain for a tunnel for trains or, or, or whatever. In the same way, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive an unstoppable, explosive power. Not a power that's going to help you cut a hole through a big mountain, necessarily, but it's a power that's going to help you carry out the commission given to us by Christ to carry the good news of his kingdom, right? It's explosive. It's unstoppable. And I think that's what the ascension of Christ is all about. It's about the fulfillment of the resurrection, creating the avenue for God's holy presence to equip all believers to accomplish his mission. It's like the, the, the hymn writer said, Christ is alive, no longer bound to distant years in Palestine. He comes to claim the here and now and dwell in every place and time. 
And that is such great news, isn't it? <laughs> See, when I had read this passage in the past, I, I always sort of read it with a, a sad tone. It's almost like, oh no, Jesus is ascending and, and we won't get to see him again until the second coming, right? And it seemed like the only comfort to be found in this passage was, yes, Jesus is ascending, but at least we get the Holy Spirit, right? But after spending some time studying this passage, especially reading it together with the end of the Gospel of Luke, I've come to see this passage as a cause for celebration, right? It's more like saying, yes, Jesus is ascending, and in a few days, we'll get the Holy Spirit too, right? Not, not that the Holy Spirit wasn't already present, but by the ascension, God's presence is manifested among believers in a new way so that we can receive a new kind of power. And I think that this is why, at, at the end of Luke's gospel, the disciples leave that mountaintop worshiping Jesus after he ascends. Because the ascension of Christ is a cause to rejoice. It's a reason for praise. And the, sh the, the, the same should also remain true for us today. Right? We ought to be glad that Christ ascended. It's because Christ ascended that we can be surrounded by God's presence no matter the time and no matter the place. We can rest safely in him no matter who we are or where we are or where we've been or what we've done. And because Christ ascended, here's the important part, because Christ ascended, we can be equipped with everything necessary to accomplish our mission of being resurrection people. Because Christ ascended, we can be equipped with everything necessary to accomplish our mission of being resurrection people. See, church, 40 days after Christ ascended from the grave, he ascended into heaven, thereby giving us a hope and an assurance and a power for our future. And so, therefore, as we go out this week, church, we go out declaring this great truth. Christ is alive and comes to bring good news to this in every age. Till earth and all creation ring with joy, with justice, love, and praise. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.